pray for the message in here today that we're you know studying and also just i want to pray specifically right now for the children's ministry because the kids are studying the same thing we are and uh i just want to take a minute and pray for that specifically so lord we just pray that you would bless uh mary not the kids this morning as they engage with this subject lord that you would speak to them um your truth the uh the, the, the truth behind these words, Lord, the significance of what happens in this story, and that you would open their eyes to um, the hope found in your gospel, Lord, and we pray that you would be um, a, a, among the teachers over there, Lord, as they're teaching this subject. Lord, I pray that you would fill this whole building with your presence and your revelation of who you are. And Lord, bless us in here as well as we study this, Lord, that we would um, hear from you as you speak to us um, through your word from even thousands of years ago. And I pray that we would have ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a guest, um, like I said, we've been journeying through the book of Exodus as a church for most of this spring. Um, and we're at uh, an interesting chapter, uh, Exodus 32, if you want to pull it up. We'll have it on the screen well, what we're going to do, I'm going to have, uh, I called, hey, Bree, come on up. Bree's going to read today, and I just asked her, so she had no time to prepare, but I think she's good at reading. So we're going to read the whole thing. What is happening right now? Oh, sorry, there, there are two Bree, yes, there are two Bree's now. Are you good at reading? Okay. Okay. I didn't know, what you, I thought you were laughing at her reading skills, and I was like, that's... I was like, that's not nice. All right. All right. Well, now that we've settled that, all right. So if you want to turn um, uh, Exodus 32, uh, we're going to go through this whole story. So it just goes from here to the to the line. That one. Great. All right. Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, 
It was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, There is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, It is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf and the people the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron said. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Moses saw that the people were ru running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so became a laughingstock to their enemies. Soon he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man, strap a sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord, and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. Thanks. So, this story is intense and, and um, it needs to be. This story is about idolatry, and it's a difficult concept in our culture because we struggle with understanding what idolatry is due to the fact of how it manifests in this story. Like the type of thing they did in this story, we don't do, but we do the same thing in a different way. And so you're gonna have to work on that 
to see uh, the value of this. The severity of it is obvious. Um, and it's a slippery thing because just like when Moses confronts Aaron in this story about idolatry and making idols, he's like, well, I mean, you know, we just threw it in the fire and I'm looking at what came out. You know, like we always try to like come up with some reason that we didn't do it or something like that. And um, so I'm going to make a couple observations and, and you're going to have to do the homework part of it, of finding the value um, in your own life. Just so you know a little bit about where we are in case you haven't been tracking along, God has set the Israelites free from captivity and slavery in Egypt. He's delivered them. He's brought them out through miraculous occurrences. And last week we talked about he set with them, he met with them on the mountain, and he gave them his law to live by. And we talked about how life with God isn't just business as usual, when business as usual is defined, we do whatever we want because it doesn't matter. It does matter, and life with God matters a lot, and he gives you kind of rules to live by. The most obvious ones and kind of the defining ones that we looked at, because there's chapters of laws, and then chapters of God talking about how I want, here's how we're going to live together. I want to live with you, and since I'm God and you're not, there's things we have to do that you're going to have to do differently to be with me around, you know, and it's like, what an honor. How great is that, you know, and... Um, he gives them to them, and we call the first kind of main list of this the Ten Commandments. And the very first of this is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. That's establishing connection to everything that Moses heard in the bush from God, Yahweh identifying himself as the I am God, the only real God that exists, which was a big deal at the time. And then he says this, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall make for yourself, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above on the earth beneath the waters below you shall not bow down to them and worship them and then he goes on about all these other laws and things they need to live by and while God is having this conversation with Moses the people are literally engaging in this story that we just read today so it's breaking the first of the ten commandments that we talk about you know in this story we look at today Israel turns their back on God and worships an idol, and Moses confronts this, cleanses the, the people, the cleanses the, you know, the idolatry from the people, and, uh, and then goes up and makes atonement or with God. And those are the points we're going to talk about, but it, it kind of, in, in, uh, or those are the story points. The main points I want to address to break that down are, number one, and again, these are so ex exceedingly obvious from what we just read, but I want us to engage with them. At the seriousness of this story, um, we must not worship anything other than God, especially as people bearing God's name, like we talked about last week. And then the second thing is, we live in, 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 we live in an idolatrous world. We live within that, just like the Israelites did. And then the ultimate thing that we'll get to is that Jesus sets us free from this. If you remember, I talked last week about a book by an author named Carmen Joy Imes, and I couldn't find this quote that I remembered reading, and I, this might be a paraphrase, so um, the reason idolatry is so important 
is found within, she was talking about us being the kind of people, the people who bear God's name. Like God is setting up the Israelites. It's like, through you, I'm going to bless the nations and do all these, you know, these great things. And you are the chosen people out of all the nations. And I'm the God. You're going to be worshiping me. And then through Jesus, that is extended to anyone who calls on Jesus as Lord and Savior, including Gentiles and everybody. And it's the light of the world, salvation, and all this kind of thing. And if you're bearing God's name, you have to act like, you know, and God takes that very seriously. And one of the things she talked about in that book was that the reason idolatry is so important and so front end on this on the list that God's giving them is that we it it dramatically it, it's core to we understand it's the quote was this I'll just read it we know who we are by knowing whose we are so when you cut off the whose we are you can't even know who you are and hello if that's happening in our society right now that basically sums it up. None of us know whose we are, and so we're having to figure it out ourselves, and that is idolatry. So we make something and, uh, and ascribe to it those things. And God knows how destructive this is. So it sounds weird at the front end. You're like, well, God, gee, you know, do you really, are you that insecure that you need to put that? And it's like, no, that's not what's going on. God is actually doing it in this order because he knows how harmful this is even to us. Like, to us. He's, he's like, really, you, you need this first. Not that I need it first. Like, it makes me feel good. He goes, it has to be first because it's just true. But the moment you get this wrong, everything else is wrong. And it imme- so we're going to have to talk a little bit about God, gods, like Yahweh God, the I am God that we've been talking about, you know, that, that Jesus is in, in bodily form versus these other gods, are they real or not? This is the question people, you know, go to. And the Old Testament sets up an answer that's kind of like yes and no. And we're going to get into that. Uh, I'm looking at my scriptures here. I'll just read them. There, there's a you see this in Isaiah 41, um, because idolatry is a problem that affects Israel the whole time, and you see it throughout the Old Testament. So even later in Isaiah, it says, this, tell, your, tell, tell us, you idols, what is going to happen? Tell us what the former things were, so that we may consider them and know their final outcome, or declare to us things to come. Tell us what the future holds, so we may know that you are gods. Do something, whether good or bad, you know, do anything, so that we may, we may be dismayed and filled with fear. But you are less than nothing. Your works are utterly worthless. Whoever chooses you is detestable. And they make this point that in some sense, the idols of our life are absolutely nothing. You know, and that God is ultimately, categorically different. You even see this in the, Sh- the Shema prayer that's found in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The Lord is one. He's the only, what this is saying is, not one among the gods. He's the God. And everything else that says that you might attribute, like use the lowercase g word to say isn't God at all. You know, he's not like, you saw in other religions, ideas of gods fighting with each other and this kind of thing. And well, mine's more powerful. Okay, well, I guess you win. But that's not even, even you having the more powerful God didn't mean that these other gods didn't exist in some sort of way that we would understand existing, right? Well, what you're seeing in the Bible is God saying, no, in fact, all of these other gods aren't, there aren't things. They don't really exist. So in that, in that way, the answer is no. 
the idols aren't anything real. But the way the Bible talks about them, that means yes, the yes and no, is that they have power because we give them power over us. And where do we get the ideas of what these idols are or these other gods are throughout even the Old Testament world and even in our current world is uh, kind of in two major categories. They're either some, getting creative, creative order out of, uh, out of whack, like not worshiping God the creator, but worshiping creation. And that could include, you know, people worshiping the sun or natural things or animals. You see a lot of that throughout the world even today, but in Old Testament times and all this kind of stuff. Or even in the, in the created realm, like the Bible has a couple places where it talks about even demonic spirits being kind of worshipped as idols and this kind of thing. But that would still be something created. You know, angels and demons, even though they might be spiritual beings, don't exist as non-created beings. That's something God still made. God is uncreated, meaning he's always existed. Everything else is created. Y'all following? So whether it's natural or spiritual, doesn't matter. It's created. But we're worshiping creation instead of the creator. And then the other one is just the ones we make, like we made up or something like that. Or more accurately, it's the one we made by our own hands, which is connected to these created things or forces. And that's the strange headspace where we find the idolatry of the Old Testament where this is written, and I would even argue all the way up to right now in our Western anti-spiritual culture, okay? Sorry, this is hard. Let me read this quote. This is by a guy named Christopher J.H. Wright. He wrote a book called These Are Your Gods. When people worship creation instead of the creator, everything is turned upside down. Idolatry produces disorder in all our fundamental relationships. And this is what God knows. That's why he put that first. Idolatry is life lived in a topsy-turvy universe that denies and discombobulates God's created order. He's British, in case you couldn't tell by his use of the term discombobulates. And he even talked about in his book that in Deuteronomy 4, 15 through 21, there's a list of prohibitions against idolatry, and they're written out in an interesting order that they're created things people worship, but they're written in exactly the opposite of the list of the order of the list of how they are created in Genesis. So in Genesis, it's like this, 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 this. And this list is literally going, and he's saying what they were trying to say with that is how it's upside down. Like this whole thing is crazy, hence this quote, this topsy-turvy thing. And it's not done by accident. That was done absolutely on purpose. And so what we find is people, like in Egypt, giving divine authority to some mixture of natural things or natural things representing human forces or human ideas woven into natural things. You hear things like gods of war and all these kinds of things. And that we need to give our devotion to these things so that we can derive some sense of who we are, where we're going, why we exist, and protection so that we can get through things. You know what I mean? And so they would make an idol so they had something to worship. And then they would worship it, and then these things would happen or not, you know. And depending on how, whatever. So this was the worldview that this is spoken into. Now, there's parts of the world where this works just like this right now. You know, there's a couple guys I've referenced, Leslie Newbigin or E. Stanley Jones, 
that were coming out of our Western world where we try to tell people like, hey, you know, you think you see and everything that's going on here, but there's actually like a whole other spiritual world that we don't talk about anymore. And I need to convince you of the reality of the spirit of God and of this kind of thing. That's a burden in our culture, right? Because as I'm talking, I know some of what you're thinking is that's weird. I'm glad we don't do that anymore. Am I right? Something like that, like some kind of I don't think like that. Who thinks like that? Nobody thinks like that. Or maybe they do something, you know. So we, we struggle with seeing things with spiritual eyes. Well, there's other cultures that don't. And like East Stanley Jones and Leslie Newbegin were both missionaries to India. And they got over to India with this kind of head full of Western Christians talk. <laughs> and then they got to India and they're like, let me tell you about God. And they're like, oh, tell me about your God. And they're like, wow, I usually have to convince people that, okay, sure. And then they're like, they're like we've got thousands of gods. And he's like, wait a minute. No, I'm talking about God. Like, yeah, gods. Like this God and that God and this God over here. And he's like, that's not, hmm, you see? And what he realized was like, I've stepped into a culture that's very aware of the spiritual world. They're just misinformed. And I need to go about talking about things differently. And so what I want to do now for us is to help us to see in our culture's terms what idolatry is. Because I don't think that you have an idol in your house that you bow down before and worship in this kind of way. But idolatry is a, a huge problem that can, re like rise, it can rise up in any, all of us, even those like the Israelites here, the ones bearing God's name. We're not insulated from this, okay? Now, we have the answer, so don't, don't feel hopeless. I'm just telling you, like, don't think that just because you're sitting in church on Sunday morning that you're good. Like, we need to do the homework of this, okay? Because we don't have idols in our house. We don't even think in some of the terms I just described. Yet, I think our culture is f full of idolatry. So w the question is, what do we worship? And if you're coming from a Christian culture, or even like a church culture or something like that, you might be like, well, I worship God, and that's it. And everything else isn't worship. But that's like a very limited definition of what worship is. You know, what do we really give our hearts to? What do we really understand is telling us who we are? There's like, the, the trouble with talking about this kind of thing is that most of these things that we get that we end up worshiping besides God aren't bad things. You know what I mean? Like when I just went through this whole list of where these things come from, obviously worshiping demons is bad. I mean, I think you shouldn't be surprised by me saying that, okay? So, but the, the problem is most of the gods, even like in Egypt and stuff, that people were, or the things they were associating with a god to be worshiped, the concepts and those kind of things, weren't bad things. They were like, I remember, you might remember a couple weeks ago when I put up a list, you know, and how the, a lot of the plagues that happened in Egypt was Yahweh, God, making a statement against the gods of the land. So you'd be like, why is this one happening and destroying all the crops? It's like, well, they had a God that they would worship for the harvest. And food is good, and the harvest is good, and we want a harvest that's good. You know, we want to grow and eat food and celebrate that. And they did too. And the way they were trying to accomplish that on a spiritual plane was by worshiping this God that they had come up with about that. You see what I'm saying? So the problem with identifying these things sometimes with ourselves is that the things themselves aren't bad. 
It might even be really good. But worshiping them is bad. So when I say worship and you're still stuck in, maybe we're stuck in church world, what I mean by that is giving devotion to, is finding our identity within, okay? Giving primary importance to. I'm sure you can think of other ways to say the same thing I'm talking about. Finding ultimate significance in. Understanding myself because of. I mean, I could keep doing this, but I think you get what I'm trying to say. I'll just identify. So, I think if we sat up here and I said, okay, forgetting the the practical mechanism, meaning the golden calf part, but what's behind that, this need of, you know, they say, look, we don't know what happened to this, this Moses guy. Like, they, like the one we just read, it's like, we don't know what happened to this Moses fellow or something like that, which is funny to me. To usually, I mean, I know that's English translation, but just call him a fellow. Like, you know, I don't, you know, this guy, whatever happened with him, you know, as if nothing, like the whole story we haven't read has been basically about it, you know. We don't have this Moses fellow. Can you give us a God that we can worship, that we can put our hands on, that we can kind of, you know, He's like, sure, let's, you know, let's do that or whatever, you know. Um, when we say the same sort of thing, it sounds a little more like, I, I mean, I, I love God. I trust God. I love him. But I really need, or something. I'll just stop chickening out. Here's the thing. Probably, if we decided, we're like, what are the things that we're all struggling with as a culture? And we put together a list, and we took the time to go around, and then, then we're like, all right, let's take a lunch break. And then we come back, and we would dissolve them into, like, what are the three main categories? We would come up with this. So if I lay these out to you, and you go, well, I mean, I just threw it in the fire, and look what came out. Look at a calf. I didn't really, you know. We can do that. And if you want to do that, fine, Okay. But that's not the best approach, all right, because you get killed, okay? So, <laughs> so maybe take this seriously. I'm pretty sure we would come up with the same list here. Our Western culture, this is not universal. This is not everybody. But the same subjects come up because when you look throughout history, and people study this kind of stuff, what do people worship, you know? They get into these major big categories of, like, money, power, and some form of sex or something like that. And so what we're going to... Put into these categories that Christopher J.H. Wright said, and I think he's right, and I think we would all agree if we want to just be honest, is our culture struggles with these, put in these three major categories. The idol of prosperity, the idol of politics, or he called national pride, but you have to understand what he means by that. He doesn't mean patriotism, you know, deriving our meaning from our, I'll get into each one. The idol of prosperity, the idol of politics or national pride, and the idol of self-exaltation. Let me explain each one of these because I agree that these are probably the major categories that you would put all the other ones within. The idol of prosperity is the money one. That we think, if I lose this, everything's over. Or we derive our meaning from the things we have and how much of them we have versus other people. Or we exalt people that are rich for some reason. You know what I mean? And... 
that idol and that seeking of that causes the control over us that then and we get we get we ultimately end up giving devotion to it the kind of devotion that only should be going to god and it sneaks in because we don't have an idol in front of us like to worship in your house. like if i walked in your house and you had this giant dollar bill thing i'd be like you got a problem here you know what i mean we don't have that so we can pretend like it's not happening making it actually more dangerous than if you had the thing okay so the money one, we all know, right? Then the second one, the politics or national pride, what we mean by that is that we are deriving or attributing to our political views or our country as a whole or that kind of thing, spiritual and divine essence. Now, a lot of us care way more about our politics than we do about our, our, our devotion to God, that's just the culture we live in. That's unfortunate, and we need to re repent from that. But a harder one is that we start to align our way of life with something like, let's make the way we live as Americans a synonym to everything that Jesus teaches as a life ethic. Therefore, we're just right because we're American and all the people outside of America are wrong for some, you know, and more specifically, like the people in the Soviet Union are really bad. And then that filters down. because We don't have that anymore. So you, you get what I'm saying. And again, I don't, I, we all can have political views. I'm fine with it. I have them. We don't talk. We'll talk. You know what I mean? But the problem is not having political views. The problem is ascribing to them that sort of divine essence, which they do not have. And that kind of devotion, that's really the one we got to worry about. Or... More particularly, if you want to identify it, is like if this kind of person gets elected, it's over. That kind of talk is idolatrous. Do you hear what I'm saying? For Christian people. And, when, and I'm not saying that in like a lightweight sort of way. Like the Israelites are in the wilderness with God, and there's other people around them like wanting to kill them and stuff. So it mattered very much, and in the most extreme way that it can matter, meaning like you might get killed for doing this, it matters. So I'm not just saying it doesn't matter if this person gets elected or that person elected, or that you could even care about that. But when you start to elevate the language to that level, it's idolatrous. And it doesn't matter if it's conservative or liberal. Everybody's doing it. It's idolatry. That's what we have to repent of. Not the, not the ideas that we're bringing forth. They may be good or bad. I don't know. And the last one, this idol of self-exaltation, this needing of the affirmation of everyone or the self-promotion. This is the core of the things we see. I mean, we talk about it all the time, this insatiable addiction and need that we have that, that comes out on social media. This only matters if other people see me doing it. Or I only can understand even maybe who I am if other people affirm these things about me. I'm not saying I'm surprised that we live this way. I'm just saying it's bad to live this way. You see what I'm saying? The idea that I can determine who I am from within my own feelings. Because my feelings are always right. And what I feel about myself is exactly who I am. Forget what anybody else tells me. The thing I feel is who I am. And that's what I have to live out. And not, not only am I going to live it out, you have to like it. Hello. 
And if you don't like it, you're an evil, bad person. And it almost doesn't matter what I say because it's who I feel I am. That's an idol of self-exaltation. And we cannot live like that as Christian people. I was just at a worship conference, and Jay Thomas was there, and he said, I should have shared this at the, the idol of political thing, but he said, if what you believe about God only works in America, you don't really know him. And if what you believe about God only works for yourself, you don't really know him. And if what you believe about God only works if you have money and comfort, you don't really know him. Okay? These are hard things. And so Moses sees this happening, or God sees this happening. He tells Moses, Moses makes an appeal. There's an interesting exchange with God there. And he goes down, and I don't know why, but it always sticks out to me that this craziness of worshiping this idol that's happening, which, again, is supposed to be worship, right? We're wor- they're worshiping an idol. They're happy. They have a God. And they've literally, like when God says in this Ten Commandments, I brought you out of Egypt. I'm God, and there's no other God, and I don't want you making gods to, to give those things to, like a God that got you out of Egypt. They didn't. I did. Or a God that's going to bring in the harvest. They don't. I do. Or a God that's going to take care of you. They aren't going to. I am. I don't want you doing that because it's not real, and it's destructive, and it's harmful. And they're doing that, and then they get excited, and they're celebrating that we have this God, this thing, we can control it, or whatever. It can control us, this weird whatever's happening. When they're coming down, Joshua says there's the sound of war in the camp. That's how he describes the sound of their celebration. And I don't know why that sticks out to me, but I think that's what I hear in our culture now. I mean, when you hear about the self, self-exaltation and the... The, the way it comes out in people in, um, in like forcing views of sexuality and gender on people. And it's talked about as though it's celebratory and it's positive. And it sounds like war to me when I hear people dealing with it with each other. I'm like, I don't hear celebration. I hear war. And then when I, when I hear other people forcing, you know, or this fear, this political fear, which is, gosh, when people say this all the time. You know, like, it's over. Or if this person gets elected, it's all over, and this kind of thing. It doesn't sound like, celib- it sounds like fear, or it sounds like war to me. And it's, our culture, is, it sounds like war to me. Like, when I look into our culture, I go, there's war, or there's, there's a sound of war in the camp. And Moses is like, I know what this is going on. And they go down there, and this horrible thing is, this horrible exchange happens. And he throws the thing down. He burns it. He smashes the, the tablets of the law that he just got. We just talked about this last week. And he throws them on the ground. He's like, this is meaningless in light of all of this. And he burns the idol, and he makes them drink it. And then they're still in disarray. They don't even wake, wake up from that. And he says, all right, I'm drawing. I'm saying, like, anyone with the Lord, come over here. And then a few of them do, the Levites and these people. And he's like, purify the place and they kill 3,000 people it's like super big deal and he calls to Aaron he's like what is wrong with you and he like backs out of it just like we all do like don't get on Aaron you know it's funny that he says what he says it's not funny when you think of how often you do it and it's again it's deep inside of every single one of us if we're honest if you want to be fake be fake okay but we don't have to go along with it, all right? But 
when the serpent tricks Eve and, trick, you know, like when they, when they eat, the, you know, and God comes, he's like, what are you guys doing? And, and Adam's like, well, I don't know, this woman that you gave me did it, so it's somehow sort of your fault. And then she's like, the serpent tricked me. Like nobody wants to, you see what I'm saying? That's on the deep inside of all of us, you know. And Aaron does the same thing, and God, Moses knows how big of a deal this is to God because he was just getting the instructions from God about how holy he is and how even, you know, like all, this exchange is crazy. And then he says, you've committed a great sin. Let me go and see what I can do about it. And maybe God, maybe it can. And so here's the thing that I think that is the second point that will bother all of us probably as much as the first point, okay? So I'm aware of that. But I think this is what God wants us to hear. And I think it's important. We live in a world full of idolatry. The question is, what do we, as bearers of the name of Jesus, do about it to engage with it? Does anyone want to help other people out of idolatry? I do. The question is, what do we do to accomplish that? Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because you love, because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all those who trust in them. That's the world we live in. That's how everybody lives. And we're the, the few people that know the truth, that God is real, God loves them. Real God, God in heaven, loves them, wants to redeem them, and wants a relationship with them. They don't, they have the idols that they have to work with because that's what the world figures. Like There's like almost this deep knowledge within all of us that there, there's something I have to to worship, I have to find my meaning in. I have to know who I am. I have to, I have to know why I'm here. I have to know what I'm doing. And, I, and they find ways to do that that aren't God. But in so doing that, they give over to these things, whatever they are, the power to control them, the power to control how they think, the power to control how they understand things, all of this. Surrender to nothing everything and become nothing and you see that depicted in this thing the question is that's that's horrible what are we going to do about it our initial like for us when we find idolatry within us and within the people of god we have to just destroy it just like moses does he destroys this thing he rips it down it's gone and it's it's utterly destroyed. And ultimately, this is what Jesus does to all the idols of the world. We're going to get into that. 
But how do we as his people, what posture do we need to have to accomplish that? Because there's millions of idols in the world, and they're oppressing tons of people, and we need to come in and smash these things. But we need to not smash the people while we're doing it, okay? That's the problem. We usually start like, well, I like to smash idols. We're like, great. And then what we end up doing is like stomping all the people down. And we're like, the idol's still there. We need to take the idols down. How do we do that? What, what do we need to have in our hearts to accomplish something like that? And you see this in the very end of this story. Because the severity of what's going on here is, is very important to God. And there's people dying. And God, there's, like, there's punishment even yet to come and stuff. You know, there's a plague that happens. God's no joke when it comes to wrath and his severity. But Moses... Moses says this uh, very interesting thing. I'm going to go back to where he says, you have committed a great sin. We could say that to the world. You've committed a great sin. But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord, and this is the thing I want you to see. And he went back to the Lord and said this, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. There's no denying any of that. He's not saying, is it really a big deal, though? He's not, he's not saying that. He's like, this is horrible. They have made themselves gods of gold. But, now please forgive their sin. And then here's the really hard yet hope-filled truth of this. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Moses is acting in giving us the indication of the posture we need to have to ultimately accomplish the destruction of idols in our world, in the idolatrous world that we live in. Because Jesus does make atonement. We see later in Micah, literally, again, the Bible tells the, same, the whole same story throughout. Micah's talking about the coming of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. Um, Caleb, whenever you guys are ready, you can... Um, let me read this quote first. This is the last quote. I'm, I'm going to read from that J.H. Wright from that book. Christopher J.H. Wright, sorry. The idols, gods, demons, spiritual powers, whatever, against which we declare war in the name of the gospel of Christ and his cross are things that oppress and ravage human existence. False gods destroy and devour lives, health, and resources. They distort and diminish our humanity. They preside over injustice, greed, perversion, cruelty, lust, and violence. It's possibly the most sat and it is possibly the most satanic dimension of their deceptive power that, in spite of all of that, in spite of all of this, they still persuade people that they are the beneficent protectors of their worshippers' identity, dignity, and prosperity, and must therefore be defended at all costs. 
Only the gospel can unmask these claims. I'm going to read that again because I kind of butchered it a little. To paraphrase, and then I'll read it again. Idols are responsible for some of the most heinous evil things in the world. And this ultimate sadness of this whole thing is that the people that are suffering the most have been tricked so much into giving over of themselves to them that they think that they're benefiting from it. And they'll defend it at all costs because it's telling them who they are. It's given meaning to their existence. And it must be defended because that's where their understanding of themselves is coming from. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ can unmask all of this. We can't just do it, especially by beating them up. The idols, God's demons and spiritual powers against which we declare war in the name of the gospel of Christ and his cross are things that oppress and ravage human existence. False gods destroy and devour lives, health, and resources. They distort and diminish our humanity. They preside over injustice, greed, perversion, cruelty, lust, and violence. It is possibly the most satanic dimension of their deceptive power that in spite of all of this, they, are, they still persuade the people that they are they still persuade the people that they are the beneficent protectors of the worshiper's identity, dignity, and prosperity. It must therefore be defended at all costs. Only the gospel can unmask these claims. We find ourselves like Moses, knowing what's happening, knowing how terrible it is. And we can be like, well, God, destroy them, their evil hearts. But Moses does something different. And this is what I think prefigures what Jesus does and what Jesus would invite us to do in regards to the idolatrous world. Tell the truth. What a great sin you've committed. Purify, destroy the idols and everything. We destroy the idols by telling the truth. But our posture before God is, God, this world that we live in, has committed some awful things. Please forgive them. But if not, blot me out of your word too. And we see that prayer, ultimately God says, I'll blot out, I'm gonna I've got it under control. And Jesus forgives all who call on his name. But our heart posture has to not be against the idol worshipers. It has to be with them while we're destroying the idols. In fact, if we want to even get to destroying the idols, it has to be with them. Otherwise, we'll just destroy them. This is very hard. And I would argue not like, this is level two Christian stuff. This is the beginning. This is what happens when you surrender your life to Jesus. It means Loving our enemies. That should sound familiar if you've been to church at all. He didn't say just love your people. That, love all the people that are nice to you and agree with you and affirm everything about you that you want them to. He's saying love your enemies. If you're following Jesus, you love your enemies. If you're following Jesus, you love those, as Byron just prayed, who despitefully use you. Is this easy? Absolutely not. But it's required first steps into the kingdom of God 
We're going to get into this in Ephesians, so it's a little precursor. But God was showing to me, you can go as deep with God as you can go with the person that you like the least. Think about that. In the book of Micah, it talks about Jesus coming, and it brings up idolatry in this. And I'm going to read verse 2 and then skip down to verses 10 and, and forward. And God's got this stuff on his mind the whole time. And we read this back at Christmas because it's talking about the birth of the Messiah, Jesus. This is one of the later prophets. He's saying like, you know, but one day. <laughs> so somebody's coming, he's going to change all this. And he says, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And skipping down to verse 10, In that day, declares the Lord, I will destroy your horses from among you and demolish your chariots. I will destroy the cities of your land. I will tear down your strongholds. I will destroy your witchcraft, and you will no longer cast spells. And then this I want you to hear. I will destroy your idols and your sacred stones from among you. You will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. That the freedom that we see the world needing is being offered through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he's giving it to anyone that will come to him and surrender. He's like, it's here. It's free. Take it. Eat. But when you give your life to him, you don't worship idols anymore. So some of us are finding ourselves as I'm talking, I've been worshiping idols and I need to repent of that, and I need to stop. And my encouragement to you is yes. <laughs> prayer team, if you could come up here. If you need people to agree with you in prayer, we have prayer team people that will pray with you, and they keep things secret. If you need to pray, if they need, you need them to pray for something specific, you can share that with them. Others of us in here need to be given the heart that Moses has to be willing to stand with the people even as they've committed this sin against God. Never, ever saying it's not sin. But his heart for the people is what we, some of us need. We need that heart for the people that have committed these sins. Sometimes they don't know. Other times they do. And this is how we're going to destroy the idols. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people who cast down idols in your temple, in our lives, and in the world, Lord. We know that ultimately, Jesus, you defeated every idol, every false god on, by your death and resurrection. And we accept that as those who bear your name, Jesus. And Lord, help us to tear down the idols of this world by sharing that good news that you are the idol destroyer to those that need to hear it. And Lord, give us the heart to do it and give us the grace to speak in the language that is understood. And Lord, we just pray for your hope to pour out from us and from this place. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who do not worship idols or lift up our souls to falsehood or anything. Lord, we want to exalt you and you alone. So as we close with this song, if you need to come forward and pray, spend some time at the altar, you can do that. If you need to spend some time sitting there praying, you can do that. And if you need to um, spend some time uh, standing and worshiping with us, we could do that. I'm going to go ahead and pray now, a benediction prayer. 
and then we'll leave this with the song and you can stay to pray as long as you need. So if you'd stand, let's, I'm going to pray this over you. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, lift up his countenance towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.